going to continue on this morning uh, in the series that we've been studying. I think most of you have been here. We'll have a lot of guests, probably at 11, that have not uh, been a part. Oh, yeah, I forgot. If we have little kids that haven't been dismissed to Children's Church, they can be dismissed at this time, uh, ages 5 and under this wing of the building, ages 6 through 11, the rear door in the back. Uh, and we appreciate all of our volunteers. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some folks um, in the second service that haven't been here for a big part of this series, so I'll be giving a lot of background on that. But just in case somebody's watching this morning uh, or is here, maybe you've not been a part of it, we have been delving in, you might say, to the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 119. And um, I am... I'm just amazed, really, at what this chapter contains, how many different practical things for our lives that David teaches us out of this passage of Scripture. It's very long. It's 176 verses in all, but it's very rich, and it's well worth the time that it will take you to read through it. So I've been challenging you, if you haven't already, to please read through it in its entirety. Uh, it will be a blessing to you. But a little bit of background on it. Uh, it's important to understand that it's comprised of 22 stanzas, each being eight verses long, and each verse has two lines. Every stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's believed that uh, as David was developing this, of course he had a reason, a method for using uh, the alphabet. It's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that he was trying to use this psalm to not only teach his son the Hebrew alphabet, but also to teach him some practical things about spiritual living and his spiritual life. So when we began this series, I mentioned that Psalm 119 has some major themes that run throughout its landscape. And the first one that we dug into on the first week was David's emphasis on the Word. He teaches us that without the Word of God, you cannot effectively walk, you cannot effectively weather, and you cannot effectively war against the enemy. The Word is absolutely essential to your walk as a Christian. And if you have a deficiency of the Word of God in your life, you will ultimately stumble, you will find yourself surrounded, and you will eventually surrender and give in. It's important that we have the Word and that we read the Word and study the Word. In week two, we dealt with David's instructions on prayer. And I'm praying that you have been praying the three prayers that David taught us and instructed us to pray. First of all, he prayed, teach me. Have, has anybody been praying, teach me, and has the Lord taught you anything? The second prayer that he prayed was, bless me. Now, I'm sure none of us have a problem praying that. We probably spend the majority of our time praying that, and we need to change it to a combination of these three prayers. The third one was, protect me. Now, I don't know about you, but I need God to watch over me and I need Him to protect me from my enemy. And sometimes I need Him to protect me from myself. Can anybody else say an amen? Because we need God to protect us from us sometimes because I don't want to squander my blessings. So I need knowledge and I need protection from the Lord. And then last week we dealt with the theme of praise found in Psalm 119. We discussed the when of our praise. And we said that even if it is midnight in our lives, we should be praising. We discussed uh, uh, about going through the middle of midnight. And I didn't mention this last week, but I happened to think about it as I was writing the sermon for this week. When did Ruth go to Boaz to get his attention in the story of Ruth? The Bible said that she laid down at his feet at midnight and it startled him. 
her advance at midnight got his attention. I wonder, this is just another thought for an entirely different sermon, but I wonder if we began to praise at midnight, if it might just get God's attention. If we begin to praise in our midnight, let that sink in. We need to get the ratio right. Instead of being once every seven days, we set aside a time to worship the Lord. We need to do like David did. He said seven times a day, every day, I will worship you. And lastly, we talked about the why of our praise. We praise God because that is what we were created to do. We praise as an overflow of our life. Your mouth will not overflow in praise if your life does not overflow in praise. And finally, we dealt with the how we praise. And we should be. I don't know if you practiced it this morning. I didn't turn around to look. But when the worship team was leading us, we should be willing praisers. If you just stood there and looked on, shame on you. Yes, I said shame on you. If you just stood there and looked on, we should be willing praisers. We came to worship Him today. I can't, did you come to worship Him today? I came to worship Him today. I know it's hard to swallow sometimes, but we should be willing praisers. Nobody should have to pump us up. Nobody should have to prime us up. We should operate from the reference that He is worthy of our praise. And we should operate from the reverence that when the Bible says when two or three gather together, He is in the midst. And if we know He's here, we should reverently give Him praise. Say amen, somebody. So we should be willing worshipers. So today, we're going to move into a section of Psalms 119 that covers some subject matter that most of us would rather not consider and probably would rather not discuss. Most of us would probably rather that David had just left this part out, but he didn't. And by including these thoughts, he teaches us a very important life lesson and a point of perspective by trying to teach his own son how to navigate through this life. David had certainly endured some hardship up to this point in his life. I want you to consider some things about David. First of all, he was overlooked by his own father. He was overlooked by the king. His father-in-law desired to kill him. His wife despised him. His best friend died. He lost a child as a judgment. And his own son tries to orchestrate a mutiny against him. Think about that. David's history was full of bloodshed. It was marked by bloodshed. He is unable to fulfill what he considers to be his lifelong dream. And instead, he must simply resource an accomplishment that he'll never be able to enjoy. See, David was no stranger to and in fact, he's probably the perfect person to speak to us on the concept of affliction. Of all of the life lessons he felt to compel to teach his son, he could not gloss over, he could not leave out, and he certainly could not sugarcoat the reality of and the experience of affliction. And if David could not leave this out of his instruction to his son, how appropriate is it that this particular part of this series 
fail on graduate Sunday. Though all of our graduates' futures are very bright, and we know that God has a Jeremiah 29, 11 plan for their lives, I believe that, we also know that part of that plan is learning and knowing how to deal with the pain that sometimes life brings. And David makes three very direct and powerful statements about pain and affliction. And I want to break each of these statements down and learn from the Word of God together today. So if you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to read one passage of Scripture. And as we do, I thought he might be here today, but we also have another graduate, not of high school or college, but Keaton Sizemore, while in college, graduated from MIP this weekend. I so wish I could have been at his commissioning service in Cleveland, Tennessee. But Keaton is now a licensed, ordained minister in the Church of God. And we are so proud of him. So I hope that he too can go back and watch this message and apply it as he goes throughout life. I want to break down these statements. We want to learn from the Word of God together today. Psalms 119 and verse 67. We're just going to read one verse and we'll pray and I'll let you be seated. David said, Before I was afflicted. Say before. Before I suffered affliction, I went astray. But now, say now, I keep your word. See what happens before, but see what happens now when we keep His Word. I want to speak to you for a few moments today on part four of this series. We're going to be focusing on affliction. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you once again for the awesome privilege and opportunity to be in your house today. God, we ask that you would bless every one of our graduates, Lord. Bless this word. Help all of us, not just our graduates, to apply this to our lives. The rich teaching that David gives us in Psalms 119. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint our ears to hear, anoint our hearts to receive your word today. But God, most of all, I ask you that you would move me out of, way, out of the way, Lord, and let my words be your words and not my own. And I'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise today for what you're going to do in and through your word in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap of praise as you're being seated this morning. David is very clear in this passage of Scripture. Before affliction was introduced into the equation of his life, he was wandering astray, he said. As soon as pain was mixed in, his attention was arrested and the hurt caused him to once again become obedient and compliant to the Word. Oh, how I wish that we were obedient and compliant before affliction. But for most of us, including David, whom the Bible said was a man after God's own heart, this isn't the case. Has anyone in the building this morning ever uh, disciplined your child only to notice that after the discipline, they are inclined to obey better than they did before the discipline? Anybody ever notice that? Now I'm going to preach something real difficult, but I'm not going to stay there long because I know in 2019 I'm not going to get a lot of help with this. But we should be disciplining our children. The absence of discipline makes an unruly child who nobody wants to be around. Nobody wants you to bring them to their house. 
Uh-huh. So anyway, yeah, I won't stay long on that. But have you ever noticed that after the discipline, the child is inclined to obey better than they did before the discipline? You see, affliction is a tool or an implement of discipline. This means that it is a part of discipleship. Several verses after his discussion on affliction, David requests that God would comfort him. You see, our issue in the church today is that we want comfort with no affliction. You see, the truth is you cannot and do not need to be comforted if you don't experience affliction. And likewise, we want discipleship with no discipline. Uh-huh. You see, if you don't discipline, you end up with rebellious, headstrong, spoiled children. The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. It says, spare the rod and spoil the child. What is the rod? The rod is the article of chastisement. That's what the rod is. So, guess what? Putting them in the corner still spoils the child. Setting them in time out still spoils the child. Looking at them and saying, Now, honey, that's not the way we do. Or, is that nice? That still spoils the child. I know I, I don't expect to get a whole lot of help. When we spare the rod, when we spare, spare the article of chastisement, when we say, I do not believe in spanking or whipping my children, we are making a declaration that we are willing to spoil our own child. That's what the Bible teaches. You know why? Because God is more committed to our character than He is to our comfort. So our Heavenly Father will sometimes discipline and afflict us. See, too many of us avoid, we run from, we self-medicate so that we can just ignore, complain about, and become angry about affliction that we have or that we are enduring when the truth is sometimes it takes that affliction to get us to obey. Our own rebellious hard-headed ways lead us astray and sometimes it takes pain to get us back. Too many of us want to grow bitter at what God might be utilizing to make us better. David apparently came to grips with the fact that the pain of discipline is more desirable than the pain that comes as the result of rebellion and disobedience. I don't know about you, but I never thanked my mama when she was disciplining me. When she made me bend over the bed and she took that switch that would leave welts on my legs that would have gotten her sent to jail today. Come on, somebody. I never turned around and said, Thank you, mama, for putting those welts on my legs. I never thanked her when she got a belt. When I was going through the discipline, I never thanked her. But I can tell you something. I look back now and I understand that the pain of my discipline helped me grow and develop. Therefore, watch this. My affliction was a gift. Think about that. 
Psalms 119 and verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I want you to pay attention to what he says carefully. Leave that on the screen for me for just a moment, please. It is good for me that I was afflicted. That is a foreign concept to us. I want you to say this with me. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Say it again. It is good for me that I was afflicted. So if it is good for us to be afflicted, then why do we kick? Why do we scream? Why do we whine? And why do we complain when we are afflicted? Consider Job. Can I tell you that pain is productive? He said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Pain is productive. In sports, we have a saying, no pain, no gain. You see, if we're training in the gym, if you want to build muscle, what you actually have to do is afflict and tear up your muscles by straining them, overworking them and overstraining them, and then giving them a day or two's recovery time before you go back and attack them again. Pain is productive. Affliction is our friend. Affliction is also a protector. It is a professor. You see, it has the ability to help us learn, and it has the ability to protect us and prompt us to go in the right direction when we might be going down the wrong road. You see, it's almost as if we can quote Romans for everybody else's predicament, but we never want to apply it to our own. Romans 8 and 28 in the Christian Standard Bible says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to His purpose. We want to quote that for everybody else, but it seems like we can't quote that for ourselves when we're going through our own situation, when we're going through our own trial, or when we are the ones experiencing affliction. But the, the, the writer in Romans said, all things work together for good. Not certain things, not just pleasant things. David seemed to understand that because David had matured in his relationship with God to the point that he now states that his affliction was a blessing. It was actually a blessing. It was good for him. Romans 5 verses 3 and 4 says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So David, both David and Paul, the Apostle Paul, recognize that if you don't have any afflictions, then you will have no endurance. Do you follow? And if you have no endurance, then you will have no character. And if you have no character, then you have no hope. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever ran into those parents that do everything in their power to make sure that their little perfect baby, theirs is perfect, never hurts, 
and it never fails. You ever run into them? I mean, you know, oh boy. I wrote this in here and then I, I actually typed it in here and then I backspaced it out and then I typed it again and then I backspaced it out. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I somehow ended up leaving it. I mean, those parents are the ones that only put their children in leagues where everybody gets a trophy. Then those are the parents that bail them out of trouble over and over again. Those are the parents that never let them pay their own bills. Those are the parents that never let them endure any heartache. But you know what the result is? They raise a child that has no endurance. They have no character. And because they have no endurance and no character, they have no hope. David was confident that affliction was necessary for learning. In Psalms 119 and 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. And that in, think about this, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. See, if we're not careful, we begin to question God's faithfulness when we're going through trials and painful seasons in our lives. David would suggest that rather than the way we view it, affliction is an indication of God's faithfulness. You see, when you say that you're in pain, and when you're going through something, what you need to do is peer through the cloud of agony and disappointment and see God's faithful hand at work. Not only do we question God's faithfulness, but we also begin to become angry at God for allowing us to have to go through what we're going through. And then in that situation, if we're not careful, there are others who will even encourage us to become bitter instead of better. If you don't believe me, go read about Job's so-called friends who tried to convince him to curse God and die in the middle of his pain. But Job said, no, 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 no. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Why? Because Job recognized that God was faithful to him. You see, we wanted all roses and, and all a bed of roses and all perfection in our lives. But it's in the times of affliction. It's in the times of pain. It's in the times of our suffering and our inopportune circumstances circumstances that if we'll just look we are able to see the faithful hand of God that does exactly what this book says he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will go with you all the way no matter what you're going through or no matter what you face see David and Job both understood got cracked up at myself when I wrote this. I thought, well, they must both have been Southern Gospel fans. Because I jotted down, David and Job both understood that if he's God on the mountain, he's also God in the valley. Only the older folk will get that. These young kids have no clue what I'm talking about. But the pain, you see, the pain of my life does not change or alter his faithfulness. It's the immature prosperity gospel stricken Christian 
that can only see God's goodness and grace when everything is going like they want it to. But I want to tell you something. You have a fairy tale God if He is only God when you're living the fairy tale. I don't have a fairy tale God. I have a God that, yeah, He walks with me on the mountaintop. But He's also there in my darkest hour, right at midnight. So why is it that we have so few hero-level Christians that we seem to see so abundantly in Scripture? Could it be that we have chosen easy over endurance? Could it be that we have chosen pleasure over pain? Could it be that we have chosen comfort over character? Listen to me, church. We are raising a generation of quitters because we don't have the proper perspective towards affliction. So when it gets hard, they quit. When there are trials, they throw in the towel. When the marriage goes through painful moments, they just bail out. When the job isn't joyous for a couple of weeks, here's what gets me. They jet before they ever secure another one. They quit before they have another job. And graduates, listen to me this morning. I know a bunch of them have gone to work in the, in the service. But when the reality of the real world sets in and we become overwhelmed and give up too easily, we're giving up on our God-given dreams and aspirations. However, it is the mature, healthy Christian that comes to the realization that even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of sickness, even in the midst of heartache and downturns, in the midst of brokenness, and in the midst of moments of need in our lives, God is still faithful. He is still on our side. And He still has our best interest in mind. Therefore, we push through. That's why Paul said, I press Toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If it were easy, you wouldn't have to press. But he said, I press. We push through. We endure. We grow. We mature. And we now see that if God is allowing a trial in our lives, it is our trustworthiness that is being tested. Not his. Did you hear me? It's us that is being tested. Not him. If they'll come to the music this morning. I want to challenge those of you today. That are in the middle of a battle. In the middle of a hurt. To push back the cloud of pain. And see his hand that is holding you up. Because another place in the Psalms, he said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, 
he shall not utterly be cast down because the Lord will uphold him with his righteous right hand we need to sometimes be able to push through the cloud of affliction and see his hand that is holding us up we need to learn church to label what we are going through differently we label it as if we are God forsaken when we need to be viewing it as we are God favored in David's life affliction was a key component that led to obedience instruction and recognition of God's goodness towards him so how will you view affliction David knew that at the end of the pain and affliction in his life God was always faithful let me say that again God is always faithful there is never a time in your life where his faithfulness is lacking God is always faithful I want to ask you to stand all over your feet this morning I want to read one last verse Psalms 34 and 19 we've looked at affliction coming to steer us in the in the right direction sometimes affliction doesn't come because we've done anything wrong sometimes affliction just happens because it's part of life but the psalmist said in Psalms 34 and verse 19 many are the afflictions of the righteous that's you and I but listen at this young people but the Lord delivers him out of them all let's be clear David did not say that we would just have affliction he actually said we would have many afflictions that doesn't seem to be good news but we also see the promise God will deliver out of every single one church God is faithful if we just hold on some of us never experience God coming through because we detour in the affliction we never see God coming through because we take matters into our own hands and we desire comfort so badly that we'll forfeit miracles to be able to enjoy life but I want you to listen to me this morning when you are going through it if you will let affliction run its course it is the canvas upon which God and His faithfulness will be displayed in all of its grandeur if you'll just hold on and if you'll just not allow God to do a little finger painting because you keep exiting on affliction if you'll just hold on he has a masterpiece that he wants to paint out of your life.